Welcome back to Landon Live. I'm Landon Harvey. I'm local retired home resident and self-acclaimed ladies man. I am Mervyn Young. Mervyn's very happy today. I just got out of prison. Again. I thought it was because you went on a date today. Oh yeah, and I went on a date. And she paid. Not because I'm cheap, but because of quality. Uh, Alright. But the quality of the food wasn't too good. Hey, hey. It's the last time I'm letting my date buy me sushi from a 7-Eleven. Alright, Mervyn. What? I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, today's guests. Oh. Okay. Today's podcast revolves around Mark Wade. He's a ventriloquist. He's done family shows, he's done children's shows, he's done everything, and he's had a really amazing career. And today he is the executive director of the annual Vent Haven Ventriloquist Convention. I know for our listeners here, yeah, we've got a lot of people wanting to know how they can become a ventriloquist. The Vent Haven Ventriloquist Convention uh, is a great place. Uh, you learn a lot there, you can take photos with the pros, talk to the pros, and everyone starts at their own pace. Whether you're in your 50s or you're in your, you know, you're 15, no matter what age. What age? I'm in the early 70s. Could I give it a go? Sure. Did you get a good way to meet Lennon? I, I have not had luck. Well, you also don't have that charm and charisma. Right. Isn't it that charm and charisma that got you into jail? What other? Anyway, enjoy this podcast of my interview with Mark Wade. Hello and welcome to Landon Live. Tonight we have the Executive Director of the International Van Haven Ventriloquist Convention, Mark Wade. Mark, how are you doing tonight? Hey, Landon. Good to see you, buddy. Welcome here. I'm glad to be on with you tonight from sunny Florida. <laughs> We're glad to have you here. Now let's just go ahead and get into it. How did you become a ventriloquist? Well, actually, it was a hobby that got out of hand, is what I tell people. <laughs> I started my career as an elementary school teacher, taught for three or four years, and in the summertime, I had the summers off so I could do showcases for fairs and whatnot. So um, I was doing some showcases, and an agent saw me and said, you're better than the guys who have been hiring. Have you ever thought about doing it full time? I said, not till now. So I took a leap of faith. I left my teaching career, left my insurance, left all my my uh, 401k and all that. And because <laughs> I was a leap of faith back in those days. I took it and uh, became a full-time ventriloquist. And the guy said, I got some new people I want you to work with. It's a new act called Reba McIntyre. Can you open for her? I said, sure, I can do that. Man. And another new one, it was Garth Brooks. So I got in with Garth Brooks and Reba McIntyre, did those for eight years, traveled the fairs and state fairs, all that circuit that we had. So, yeah, it was kind of, that's what led into it. But my teaching background was in elementary education. Mm Mm-hmm. So that kind of opened the door because I had a lot of friends in education. It opened the door up for me doing elementary school assembly programs. So I ended up being like the kid show guy for wow. years and years. And so I do been on the average about 350 or so elementary schools in nine months. I'm, I'm sure. How did that how did that affect your writing for a school show? Did that make it easier because you knew what they were looking for? Or? Yeah, a little bit because number one, Schools in the early days, when back in the seventies when I started, they they don't they didn't care if you had a message as long as it was fun for the kids. They thought it was a break in the action for the kids, so that was that was fine. So we did some shows that way. But I thought I, I need to do more with this, so I got uh, the curriculum guides for social studies and reading and math and all those things. So I built my show around the curriculum guide. So 
when they said, well, what value is your show? I said, well, I wrote on your curriculum guide for this and this and this and this and this. And uh, I had all the points there. So, I mean, it was like a teaching lesson with ventriloquism. Wow, I'm sure that made you a lot more marketable <laughs> than anyone else doing school I mean, shows. Yeah. It's not worth it because it was yeah. worth it. I was helping them make the – see, when you teach elementary school, you have to make so many minutes per subject each week. It's made sure. of math, it's made of readings, it's made of science, whatnot. And when I did my show, my my shows, it could be on math, it could be on reading, it could be a lot of different things. It helped them make up those minutes that they needed. Mm-hmm. So I was actually helping them make their time instead of taking time away from the the curriculum. Oh, that that's an interesting that's an interesting thought. I'm curious when you started out and you were opening for Reba and Garth, did you was your act family friendly? Was it more for adult? Was it what was your act like? It, you it had to be family family friendly and very okay. clean. And um, that's all I've ever done anyway. I, I've not done really anything other than that. Sure. So it was kind of middle of the road, and that's why I came up with the baby cry that I did for all those years in the show because I didn't want to take an extra puppet on the road with me. So I did one puppet and the baby cry and something else. I, I might have been a magic trick. But anyway, like I said, I had 20 minutes. I had to get it all in. In 20 minutes, I had to break the ice with the crowd and get them warmed up. So I had 20 minutes because the ax, the big guys didn't want to come out to a cold, what's called a cold house. Sure. And also they told me, you can be funny but not funnier than the big guys. Because we're paying them a lot of money. We're paying you this much money compared to what they're making. So yeah. he, could, he could do something. And I said, oh. if I went, went on too long, it was too funny, it would cut my time the next show. Wow, that's that's scary. You're walking on a tightrope there. I was doing the West Virginia State Fair, and I was really cooking that night. I didn't watch my time. I was over by about three minutes. The agent walks out where they couldn't see it, and he goes, that's it, you're done. So I was like, "Can I thought it was doing great and walked off the stage. And the next next show I was down to fifteen minutes instead of twenty. Oh man. So you really had to hone your act and know exactly how many minutes you were doing. Wow, that'll, yeah, that'll that'll teach you to learn your act in a short <laughs> amount of time. Wow. So the I'm curious, the baby cry, when when did that was that like an aha moment when you came up with that? like when did did you need it like last minute? What how what was the story behind that? I could do a fairly decent falsetto. Okay. I heard of people doing the baby cry, but I never had seen anybody. So I did with a kind of, kind of, kind of a cartoonish voice. Mm-hmm. And I took a towel out of the hotel staying in, wrapped it up on stage and used somebody out of the audience for audience participation and just did the baby cry. It's a cough sound. Like, <laughs> One of those kind of things. Yeah, that's awesome. Wow, that's super cool. So, so you do you do all you also do magic, or you do some well, magic? Well, I did the school shows. I did a little magic. The other reason I did magic was to break up and get my voice to rest between the characters. I usually started with a puppet, did a event specialty in between, which was either baby cry or distant voice or something like that, and finished with a strong puppet at the end. So I anchored the show with the puppet at the beginning and puppet at the end. And let the middle be taken care of with maybe one magic trick that I brought along. It'd be a die box. It could be a lot of different things. But that's how I balanced it out. Okay, neat. What was your first character? My first character was a parrot named Foster. I had done a trade show in Atlanta, Georgia for a company called Foster Air Data Systems. It was a crow. It was one of the Bill Bowley crows. Okay. 
And their motto was, "We get." You, they were making navigational equipment. They said, we get you there straight as the crow flies. So I asked Mr. Foster if I could use his name. So I called the bird Foster mm-hmm. and, and used him in the fairs and things I was doing. But I, I wanted to make sure that Mr. Foster was okay with that. So it was all right. So I went and used it. Sure. Well, that's awesome. Um, I'm curious because um, on the uh, on IVS, we see a lot of you and you're always always posting um, things on, you know, uh, ways to make your act better and ways to uh, you make a puppet your your own. Could you talk a little bit about what makes a good puppet? I think a good puppet has to be unique. And I think the cheeky boy thing has been done to death. A lot of agents, when, when you bring out a Venn figure, unfortunately, they say, oh, that's Charlie McCarthy. That's been done to death. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. And I've had agents even tell me that that we like the guy, another ventriloquist they were talking about, but his act is too Charlie McCarthy-ish or Jerry Mahoney-ish. Mm-hmm. And so I think you need a character that's different. Uh, the characters you're making, I, I complimented on you before the, the, the talk here today that they're different and they look they look different they have a different look a different style it's a lot of puppets you can na- nail down by who the owner is who, who made the puppet because they have yeah. a certain style of face mm-hmm. yours are so different each one's different which is oh thank you each one's unique mm-hmm. i have to praise you here because you, you, oh, need, thank you. you did a great job yeah i try to keep uh i try to differ the pattern on the head every time or on the body that way it, it and i have a range of different sizes of of characters that i sell that way, it all you know. When someone buys a puppet, it's it's unique to them and their act. So it's. Well, I think I think the puppet has to be different. I think the puppet has to be appealing to an audience. Sure. Some puppets are just. I don't want to say scary, but they actually are scary to some. Especially if you're working for children, you bring out a bent figure and he says hi. You know, you got twenty people with a laundry problem all of a sudden. You don't want that. You know, right. Sure, your puppets are fam- family friendly. That can be used anywhere. Uh, I do like men figures that are different. I had Don Bryan figure. He made a, a character named Arthur that I used. He's in Vent yeah. Haven right now. Mm-hmm. But Arthur started out as a lounge character. I didn't do very many lounges. I worked uh, a lounge. Uh, it was supposed to be for four weeks, and they held me over 15 weeks at the lounge. And Arthur was a drunk at that time. Okay. Drinking is kind of falling out of favor with people. I would bring him out in the trash can on wheels. If you sing the song, I take it out of the trash can, bring him out, and he do his routine, and we pop him back in the can, roll him off at the end of it. That's an exit. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So it, it was, it was kind of a neat thing, but yeah. it was a Don Brian figure. Wow, that's su- that's super neat. That's super neat. So, could you talk a little bit about now? You have um, Watson with you. Is that yeah. correct? Yeah. I have okay. One. So, tell us a little bit about Watson and how he came to be part of your act. Well, Watson is a, what you call an off-the-rack puppet. I don't do that very often. If I see something really unusual, different, and it strikes my, and I can use it in the act, I don't want to start another Venn Haven at my house. That's a lot of people do that. They've got 40 puppets, and they only do one voice or two mm-hmm. voices. So get the, get the puppet that works for you and make sure you have a good voice that matches up with the puppet. And that's, sure. I think, very, very important. Well, anyway, I saw this puppet, and uh, Jet had the puppet at the Van Halen convention, and I bought the puppet, and we got the rights to the puppet, and that I always do that. If I can get the puppet and get the rights to it, that way I'm not going to see 10 of the ventriloquists down the road doing the same puppet 
that's terrible to go to a town and someone has one of those puppets that looks just identical to one of yours. Right. Well, I want something unique. I want different. I want fresh. Mm-hmm. Uh, this puppet was, he was a rabbit. It's a rabbit puppet, and he's a mess. He's just, <laughs> he was he was a mess. When, when you look, you feel sorry for him when you look at him. But this is this is an interesting thing because you talked about purchasing the rights to the character. What does that mean when you buy? Because a lot of people think, oh, I bought the puppet. It's mine, right? But the rights are something else. The so right kind of explain what the rights mean when you buy them from a puppet. It's like a photographer that takes your picture. They own the negatives, and they and you want more pictures, you got to go back to that person. They have to make it for you, make the picture for you. Well, the puppet, same thing. It's the it's the creative genius of that particular puppet maker that made that puppet. And they actually own the rights to to that puppet unless you make other plans with them otherwise. And I think that's important to uh, to buy the rights. That way you can do whatever you want with the puppet. And I always go back to the puppet maker, that puppet maker, you get a duplicate. That's another thing I always do. I always get two made. If I'm on the road doing a show and something would happen, someone would break in and steal the puppet or something would happen. That happened? I've had, I've had, I've had this happen one time. I had a soft puppet called grits which is a hillbilly character i used to use yes and i was going through the, the air i was on my way to phoenix arizona and the the, the uh, security people were looking at it and they, of course with a puppet you're always drawn out of line they want to look at your stuff they always want to mm-hmm. look at everything so they brought the, i brought the puppet out and the woman goes isn't he cute and she stuck her finger in his mouth and then she came back out with her finger she ripped the whole bottom row of teeth out the teeth are hanging like this out of the puppet's mouth i'm getting to board yeah. the board a plane in about 10 minutes so I called, at that time, Marianne Taylor was making puppets for me. Mm-hmm. I called Marianne, she says, get to the hotel and get some contact cement and paste them in until I get the puppet back in my studio. Yeah. So we got the puppet back out. It worked. I called maintenance, and they brought me the contact cement. The paste them in, they were okay. It worked, and I got the puppet back to her. But, I mean, that, I didn't have a duplicate at that particular point. That was my fault for not having it. But if I was on the road and something would happen, Let's say there's a fire and it would be burned up in a fire or someone would break into your hotel room and steal it. Jody, I'd call her on the phone and say, can you send the next, send number two out for me? Yeah, no one likes burnt grits. <laughs> no, no, I'm a northerner. Grits, 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 that way it's not good. No. Yeah. yeah. But uh, anyway, like I said, I always have a duplicate backup. Definitely. I, I'm curious, do you, when you travel to do a show, do you take, do you have like a, uh, a bunch of stuff that you you know need in case something were to happen. You talked about a backup puppet. Do you have um, like a just in case type bag or road case? I, I okay. take with a small one. It's got needles and thread with different colored thread. Mm-hmm. I get stitched a little bit, but not a lot. And the big thing is a glue gun. Now you have to okay. make sure that the airport security knows you've got a glue gun. It's not a regular gun. A little miniature glue gun. You know, they'll look at it and everything, they'll prove it. And you right. paste something with the glue, you know, in the mouth or on the on the body. I had a, a stitch come out one time and I glued it together right before a show. And it only takes a few seconds, but it's good to have those kind of things. Yeah, definitely. Uh, whenever I have someone on and I'm interviewing them and they've they've uh, crossed paths with Verna as a puppet builder, she's been a big inspiration to me. And I'd love to hear how you met Verna and some of the stuff that she's built for you. You talked about grits. Verna made the original grits. I wanted. I was working the, as the country, opening act for the country people, and they wanted to have a character that kind of went with the show. Okay. And uh, so anyway, I, I, I said I wanted this character. 
wanted to miss a tooth here, miss a tooth there. He's got to have the beer here and the funny hat that they would wear down like in the hills. Yeah. And gave him a, I gave him kind of a hillbilly voice a little bit. It was kind of a cross between West Virginia and some other places. Hey, it's not like that. How are you, boy? I feel good tonight. Right proud that you called. One of those kind of things. And uh -huh. he used that voice for him. And Garth Brooks absolutely loved him. Oh, that's so he cool. Loved, loved, <laughs> he loved grits. And they liked the name grits because, you know, it was a Yankee talking about grits. So that was kind of fun to them anyway, but it was, it was good. Yeah, but there's an at the uh, the Vinhaven Museum. There's of course the the original grits built by Verna, and then there's a photo of her building grits, which I thought is one of my yeah. favorite photos. Of, that, uh, that was a cover of a pup, puppetry magazine, mm -hmm. and they used that picture on there. And I said, "Well, look at my my puppet on there." Verna, when she first came to the convention, she was brand new, mm -hmm. and she had representatives. She didn't come the first few years. She sent a lady that was selling her puppets for her. Mm -hmm. And uh, the lady kept telling everybody, well, Verna doesn't want to talk to, to ventriloquists or puppeteers. She's very shy. She doesn't want that. You have to work through me. We found out she was jacking the price way up with the puppets and giving Verna just a small percentage of the money. That she, she was the creator of the puppets. So oh, we, man. We kind of blew the lid off that a little bit. What we did was we, we posted <laughs> Verna's address and phone number and everything in one of our event magazines at the time. Oh, there you go. People said, well, that wasn't true at all. Verna doesn't mind talking to people. Mm -hmm. And uh, we got to be good friends from that point on. And, and um, yeah, she, she's a sweet lady. She's up in her 90s right now. I guess she's, she's moved up north after her husband died. She lived here in Punta Gorda, Florida mm -hmm. all this time. Wow. Wow. Well, that's... That's super neat. It's always it's always neat to see. Every once in a while, you'll see uh, some of her past creations pop up on eBay or the ventriloquist groups on Facebook, and it's always neat to see. I've got two that I have in, in storage right now. I'm not using either one of them, but I got them. I'm keeping on keeping my hands on them because they're Verna puppets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, but it was a rabbit in a tuxedo with a tail coat. His name was Rabbit Redford, and I had Rabbit Redford, and I had the duplicate Rabbit Redford. So I got uh -huh. two of them, and she made the tuxedo. I mean, oh, cool. the tuxedo. Yeah. I mean, you can't find a tuxedo that size. No, she was multi-talented. Yeah, oh, that's amazing. Yeah, for, she was for TV and all kinds of special things. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, uh, you mentioned that character. I I built a, a little rabbit puppet, and we put a little red tie on it, and it had these little bug eyes. And I built it for Bob Rumba, and he named it Rabbit Dangerfield. Yeah. <laughs> so you that so. that's a good looking puppet, by the way. Oh, I'm, thank you. I'm not a partial rabbits. I've had a couple. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so <laughs> we talked about what makes a good puppet. Can you talk about what makes a good character and why there's that difference there? I think the in movies, puppet, it's very important. I think the look of the puppet is half the battle. As the puppet comes out and it's scary looking, mm -hmm. or the puppet comes out and it, it it doesn't really appeal to the audience, I think it's going to make your routine a lot harder to sell to the audience. I think a, a good puppet that way makes a big difference. Mm -hmm. I had a puppet one time I was using my school shows. It was kind of it looked like a, a cross between Elvis and something else. had a sneer right here a little bit. And uh, it scared the bejesus out of the little kids in the kindergarten. So I had to dump him after about one or two shows because they were 
one they were crying a couple of them cried i, I never had a kid oh, cry wow. myself they cried they do like preschool kindergarten age and wow. i thought well i can't do that so i it was a it was a bully i was doing an anti-bully show and and uh the routine was was a great routine and fun routine, but didn't work as well with that kind of a puppet. I didn't realize that that kind of a sneer would, would when you turn the face one way, the puppet looked okay. You turn it the other way, it had the sneer. So we oh. we had to change that out. So we got another puppet that was just a boy puppet, and we, we gave him a little bit of an attitude. But they accepted that puppet and they laughed. And the rest of the season was great. It was only one or two shows that that happened in. And uh, not one of my proudest moments as a kid show performer, but still, though, you laugh and you learn. You, you learn by sure. doing. But um, I think it has to be friendly. I think it has to be visually big enough to be seen from for a large stage. I learned that during the county and state fairs. When the mouth opens on a vent figure, it opens about that wide. Uh-huh. Go, what are you doing up there? What, what's going on? <laughs> I think he's not moving. I think he's talking. But when the mouth open is really wide like this, like a soft puppet would open up, I think also it, it, it gives the illusion of life and and, yeah, and, and you have to play on the stage. You have to do things a little bit bigger than life anyway because yeah. you're sure. you're not on a big stage, you know, to people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I had done an interview with Taylor Mason, and he was talking about that. Was, that's the exact reason why, because he performs at these giant venues, why he had to have uh, his main character Romeo built bigger by <laughs> Marion Taylor. Sure. So he's talking about why it's so big. But the fact is, when a stage light, a spotlight hits that puppet, mm-hmm. it's trying to absorb that that light a little bit. Yeah, the water. You cause a cause a glare, so to speak. That's why it absorbs it. If you look at some of the Muppets characters, if you turn a spotlight on them, their face actually absorbs that light and gets a little bit brighter, a bird puppet or something. Yeah. So I think it helps that way. I think that helps sell the puppet too. Those are a couple of things I look for in a puppet. And um, Okay. Yeah. That's neat. That's that's neat. Um, so that's what makes a good makes a good puppet. And then a good character is what the ventriloquist does with the puppet and its likability. It's yeah. like kind of that that marriage between the what the artist does with the puppet and then what the performer does with the puppet in its in his act or her act. Right. Yeah. right. Really neat. Well, um, the puppet plays into that. You know, you can you can write the material to something the puppet's wearing, but that could be changed, or you can write it toward his facial expression or facial characteristics. Mm-hmm. You, you can kind of tailor those two things together a little bit and kind of come up with a character. It helps helps when you write something with that in mind sure aside from you talked about a little bit about the bullet character and how you had to end up switching it out did you ever have a character that just didn't work uh I, usually when i categorize puppets there are three categories of soft puppets there are animal puppets there are people puppets and there are object puppets which are just things i had okay. a talking ruler one time the giant he had a crown all that and it was okay and the kids went uh-huh okay <laughs> yeah i guess that's okay but with a with an object puppet it's harder to sell because it, it's not something they can identify with when you're working with kids the animal puppets are always the best people are second best and the object puppets you usually stick those in the middle of the show somewhere so you can sandwich that in between the really good stuff at the beginning and the end of the, of the show huh. that's interesting i never even thought about about using all all of those in one show or using Two of two of three. That's that's interesting. I use two puppets. Like I said, the, the anchors of the show. Start mm-hmm. with the puppet, end with the puppet. 
Okay. As you said in vaudeville, start strong and finish strong, and the middle will take care of itself. That's what they always said in vaudeville. Sure, sure. So, like in when you introduced Watson to your show, mm-hmm. when you saw that, when you saw that puppet on Jet's table, what? Because I, I feel like one of the modern problems of beginners or even uh, just uh, ventriloquist, uh, Venhaven goers, uh, Venhaven convention uh, attendees, is that they'll see a puppet and it, and it's beautiful because there's a plethora of characters to choose from these artists um they always do an amazing job and they'll buy it and then and then it'll stop there on what they're going to do with it right so what is what kind of runs through your mind when you see a character there there's that likability of the look but then script writing wise or maybe when you're thinking about in the context of a potential show or a library type venue what's your i think you have to look at where that puppet's actually going to fit into your show Mm-hmm. I retire grits. Mm-hmm. I still have a copy of grits. I've made three or four of them, but mm-hmm. I retired him. So I took another character that I could actually use some of his material on, which I do with Watson. I don't give him an accent quite, but a little bit of an accent, but just to make it different. But um, I try to bring, I try to make the puppet work that way for me. You know, when I bring it out, I it's I don't buy things that I'm not like I said I'm not starting a Van Haven museum here. So mm-hmm. I don't buy puppets that are going to sit on the shelf or say, well, "That's my puppet. I want you to sit." And you go, "Hi, how you doing?" And put it back on the shelf, and then you're done. Right. With. They got to be working puppets. I sell the ones that I don't use anymore mm-hmm. because I want working puppets, puppets that are going to help my career and help me make some money, hopefully. Could we meet? Could we meet uh, Watson? Yeah, Watson's down here. Before. Excuse me, just a second for doing this, but he's down here. Let me get him out. Oh, come here, Watson. There we go. This is what. Hi. <laughs> How are you, Landon boy? You doing okay? Hey, how's it going? Good. Thank you for being part of this. You got all dressed up to come here tonight? <laughs> Shirt on and tie. Yeah, because there's no pants, Snoopy. <laughs> <laughs> Now, this is interesting. He didn't have, you added that to the character. What was the inspiration behind that? Well, I'm using him for a lot. I'm doing talks. I use him for adult groups, believe it or not. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. Yeah. I use him for uh, rotary clubs and whatnot. I'm doing talks. And I wanted to look like a businessman. Eventually, what I was going to do with this guy, but I was going to use him as as a uh, puppet that was a vis- as, as a, uh, a salesperson. And so I gave him a shirt and I'm going to dress him up just a little bit for the those kind of things. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So anyway, I, I nicely that way. So you can see what it looks like. But I mean, this the eyes. So mm-hmm. a little tuft of hair on the top. The top. Sure. And uh, this is the whole look. And so I had a shirt made, and I had a shirt and a tie. And the tie actually, you're gonna laugh when I tell you about the tie. They sell clothes for dogs to dress them up. Uh huh. Found this tie that they you put on a little dog when when you dress them up and take them out. It was the perfect size tie. So instead of having a tie made, I bought that tie and they added the tie to the shirt. But the short. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it's good, huh? Yeah. <laughs> it's good. That's that's super neat. Yeah, I was in a I was in a uh, pet store the other day and I and I thought some of these dog costumes would be great for puppets. Yeah, that's, um, that's, so that's it, like it's that. amazing what you can find. Uh, to part to customize the character, and even if um, you know you get a stock character from a manufacturer, you can uh, add clothing or you know eyelashes, or you can add stuff, have stuff added to it to make it your own. Uh, I, I, I want to add this extra dimension to Watson just a little bit. Mm-hmm. 
dimension, dimension, yeah, it's hard to say, I know. Anyway, like I said, I use Watson for those rotary clubs. I talk about different things. I have a business talk I do, yeah, and yeah. I've been using that way. So that's that's Watson. That's Nate. Awesome. Thank you for bringing him out. He's a he's a great character. I love all of the. Put you down. You usually do. Okay, here we go down here. Ouch. Clean right back in the case. There we go. <laughs> Well, that's that's interesting. So uh, you do you've um, taught ventriloquism and classes uh, yes. to people. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because that's a very neat experience. Well, I've taught in Japan. I've taught in Canada. I've taught in Great Britain. I've taught in all of those places where I've lectured across the United States. And um, I teach the, what's called the vent basics, which is breathing and the tongue placement in the mouth on the alveolar ridge. And how to articulate by going up and down one, two, three, four, five that way, and 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 I'm not much on the clenched teeth. Hang on, I'm not, I'm not that kind of ventriloquist. So your mouth has to be open a little tiny bit to be natural. Right. I give them some pointers and lessons that way, and we get them started. That's going to be up to them to take the ball and run with it after that. But I think we can get get them off to a good start by giving them the some of the basic things that they can practice on at home. Sure, that's great. How did the first uh workshop like that begin for you how did that where did that come from well let's see which time i was probably at a Van haven convention years ago in the early days they didn't have an executive director that was actually in charge or then they changed it every year you had a chairman that ran the convention and one of the chairman in the early days asked me to teach that because i've been a working pro in fact i've been a working pro for almost 40 years so um Anyway, like I said, it, it was it was fun to do it. Look through my lessons, look at the things that I learned. And I learned through the mayor course. The mayor, I thought, was the best course out there. And I also combined it a little bit with Paul Settleman's Ventriloquism of Today book that's still available. I think Abbott's Magic carries it, I think. Okay. It's a great book. It's got some good points. So between the two of those, I came in. In fact, I did the mayor course twice. I had the original mayor course, which was done in mimeograph form. Mm-hmm friend of mine bought a magic shop and found that course in there and gave it to me. And the second one was from Clinton Detweiler. I took it. So I actually took the mayor course twice and I took oh, that wow. one course. Mm. So it's worth it. You, you just got to teach the basics. You can't overcrowd them. It's like teaching anything else. You don't want to give them too many things at once because there's a lot of fine points to it. You learn sure. the basics of building a house. Your foundations are good. You build on top of that, build up and up and up. Sure. And right now, Tom Krell has a, a wonderful resource, Learn-Ventriloquism. Yes. Um, I've, I've signed up for that, and he has done an, an amazing job with everything that he's included in that course. Tom did a great job um, with his course as well. It wasn't available when I, when I started out, so yeah. yeah. And he also he also runs the IVS, the International Ventriloquist Society, and right. you have a uh, you do a, a running uh, a running uh, column on there. Could you talk yeah, a little bit right. about that? Tom in the, for the magazine, and he's mm-hmm. doing a lot of video stuff and written articles, and uh, we kind of balance, he kind of balances it out. Actually, when I was in charge of mayor, I, when Clinton Detwiller died, I I took over mayor, and I brought Tom and Ken Groves in as partners. Well, I got still got busy with shows and whatnot, so I asked Tom, I said, would you like to have Mayor Studio? So I bequeathed it to Tom. So he's got the whole Mayor Studio to himself now. And he's doing a great job with it. Yeah, he really is. He really is. So that, that that's interesting. We talked a little bit about convention. How how did it how did you become the executive director? <laughs> I think we do straws that lost. I'm not sure, but yeah. anyway. uh 
what happened was I've been on the advisory board since 1977. I came on with Johnny Maine and okay. and came on the board with Johnny Maine and with Clinton Dentwater. We were recommended to John Brooking, who was president of the museum at that time, by Bill Bowley. Bill Bowley was a good friend of ours, and he introduced us to that. Mm-hmm. And, um, what they did in those, like I said, the early days, they switched around chairman. One chairman would be one year, next another event, another advisor would be a chairman another year. And I, I did 11 of those. Well, a couple of years there, we didn't have a convention. Back in like the late 90s, they went out to Las Vegas and they did a Las Vegas version of the convention, although we had nothing to do with it. It was all Las Vegas' stuff at that time. Sure. John Brooking calls me back and said, I want I want to get this started back up here with our local convention. Will you take it over? I said, I'll take it over in two conditions. Number one, we no more chairman. I'm the, I'm the executive director and I make all the decisions on this. Number two, that I have free reign to hire or fire who I want to put in, in these things. He said, agreed. So we signed and I've been now 20, I think it's 21 years I've been the executive director of the convention. You would have thought I got it right by now, wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's superb. What was it like? What was it like uh, taking this on for the first year that you had? That you Scary, had... because it's, yeah. we were starting with nothing. I mean, we had we started ground zero. We had nothing here. We had to build up. I remember the early days of the convention it started in 1975. I think we had like 80 people. Okay, so it was a gosh, it'd be great if we could get up to 100. And now we got up to about between five and 600 every year. Yeah. And they're coming from last last year was 17 countries, I think. Wow. So they, just you try to try to make it educational, but yet fun. A place mm-hmm. for viewers to get in there and do their thing. A, a, a place for people to learn and have fun. And and we have to keep this convention going because it's the future of ventrilo- ventriloquism. If we can keep Definitely. on with young people coming up to the ranks, but <laughs> excuse me, we got to train this all the way through. Definitely. I, I definitely agree. Um, and of course, uh, this year's convention, uh, International Van Haven Ventriloquist Convention, was canceled due to the um, uh, current uh, coronavirus. But uh, why don't, could you talk a little bit about uh, next year's dates and yeah. what, what we have planned, what's planned for that? Well, this year was canceled because they were going to quarantine everybody coming into Kentucky for 14 days, mm-hmm. which doesn't work. And also, only 50 people or less could meet. I don't know what I was supposed to do with those other 450 or 500 people milling around, but mm. so those two factors are ones that kind of dro- drove us out for not doing it. Well, anyway, like I said, our convention dates, I already have a signed contract with the Holiday Inn for 2021 anyway. The dates are July 14 to 17, 2021 at the Cincinnati Airport Holiday Inn. It's the same location. Okay. And we're going to take a lot of things off the 2020 calendar that we didn't get in this year, but then we got some new things we're going to add. It's going to be a mixture of new and some old things, old being things that we couldn't get in this year. So it's going to be a little combination of both. And we're still in the planning stages. We're going to come out and start taking registrations in October. I think October 15th is our, our fire off date when we get started. Okay. Phenomenal. Great. So are are some of the some of the lectures and some of the acts? I mean, I know I'm sure it's all still up in the air, but are they scheduled to push to next next year, or is it kind yeah, of maybe taking? I like to bring Willie Tyler back, and he's going to come back and do his thing for us and mm-hmm. um, whatnot. Well, right now, what we're doing for this July 
July 18th, which would have been our Saturday night show in 2020. We're going to have about three hours of some special things as kind of a placeholder to kind of keep people so interested in it. We're going to do a couple lectures. We're going to do um, a couple, two or three interviews. One's with Darcy Lynn. Hopefully we're going to get Jeff involved and we're going to also get Willie involved with that. And Ben Haven's going to do a virtual tour. You're going to see all the new things that they've added to the museum since last year. It's going to be like a tour, except it's going to be a virtual tour. Yeah, that'll be neat. Yeah, it'll be really fun. That's awesome. Well, um, you, uh, everyone that knows of you, Mark Wade, knows of your wife, Jody, <laughs> And she's just a ray of sunshine at the convention. Can you tell us a little bit about how you met? And she, and she's a performer. So can you talk about that and what yeah. that's been like? She's a professional clown par excellence. Mm-hmm. And uh, she does juggling and magic and, and no ventriloquism. She's one ventriloquist in the family is plenty. And... Uh, Anyway, we met years ago, probably 20 years ago, at a at a uh, variety of arts conference, the old Laugh Makers conferences that they used to have. I was teaching there and yeah. performing. And so we met, and things kind of hit it off, and we, we went on, and we started talking on the phone, and we went to dating, and then we got got married. So we've been married now 14, it's going on 14 years. Wow. But uh, yeah, so but she she's a great job. She's she's been my right hand person when it comes to doing school shows and whatnot. She can do the contracts. She can do all that paperwork. I I don't use her all the time for that. I try to do that myself. But when we're out doing a show, for example, if I'm in, I have to see the principal, get some things done in the building. She'll she'll have I have everything out of the car. She'll have the show set up and ready for me. I walk out and the backdrops up, the curtains are there. The the tables and props, everything's in order the way I need it. Don't have to worry about any of that. So she's really, really good at it. And I helped her at her shows, although she likes doing her own her own thing. So I don't, well, what's, know, I don't know too much about clowning, unfortunately. But what, what what's interesting about uh, your relationship is that from what I've seen in certain, certain circumstances with performers that are on the road is that they'll have uh, clashes within their uh, relationship with their spouse because their, their spouse doesn't understand how much they're on the road or maybe how many shows or how, what that real life is. And what, what's neat with Jody is she understands that and she helps you with it. Right. Um, and she gets, she's on that same wavelength. So that's, that's you really look, I mean, there's no, no one's, one's at home, one's on the road. It's, we're both mm-hmm. on the we get up in the morning. We got a we have a list of shows we're supposed to do that week, and she goes out with me. And we do them. Wow. So that's, that's not, you have somebody to talk to, somebody to share things with on the road, and we share a lot of experiences. And she has a lot of good things to input into this because she's been a performer for about twenty one or twenty two years herself. I forget how many years now, but at least twenty. That's phenomenal. And wrapping up, I'm, I'm curious, what do you hope to see from the future of ventriloquism and from future events? Well, you are part of that future. I want oh, thank you. Guys like you and girls like you, people that are coming up through the ranks, we've got to keep our, our future bright. And we do that by educating, showing them we're not going to hang it all on the past. It's not all about ventriloquism in 1930. They don't care about that. But it's got to be something modern, but it's got to be unique and different and show people that there's actually a future in ventriloquism I mean, there can be a good career in ventriloquism if it's handled right and you've got to be remember they say show business is two words show and business mm-hmm. so you have to learn to do the show first 
then the business comes later and you have to be as good a business person to keep in this in this situation. But I think with guys like you and other people like you that are, are young coming up through, I think we're in good hands. I really feel we are in good hands. Phenomenal. Well, thank you so much, Mark. And thank you so much for being a part of Landon Live and for sharing your story. You bet, Landon. I enjoyed this immensely. Thank you. All right. Thank you. And thank you guys for tuning in.